I'm not talking about a, some kind of a power that I can just pull out my, my, my lucky rabbit's foot and wave it around and say, poof, it's changed. That's not what faith is. That's not faith. That's not what the Bible is. Faith is saying that I'm confident and I'm going to get through whatever God has for me in my life. Everybody say amen. Give the Lord a hand this morning. Absolutely. Wonderful. Great worship. Thank you very much. Well, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 23, and you find that for me, please. And you remember that game show back in the 60s? Not many of you would. Of course, I really don't. But um, <laughs> but there was a uh, game show, game show, and it was you know you you know they had three different contestants on there, and each one would say, you know, I'm. Uh, I'm so and so. I'm so and so. I'm so and so. And then you had to. Then the pan, Then they asked questions, and and then you know, and the panel picked two was the real one. So, uh, my name is Ron Fox. I'm the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church. <laughs> I've been gone for the last two weeks, and that's why I did that. So just trying to make it funny, and that didn't go very well. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, it's good to have you here this morning, huh? I am true. I'm definitely. I'm, I'm true. The Ron Fox, the pastor. But Sean, thank you for filling in for me the last two weeks. Didn't he do a wonderful job? Praise the Lord that we have staff like that that we can depend on. And of course, we got to see our precious grandson last Sunday, and that was just a treat for us. Thank you for letting us be gone for that. And and uh, of course, he was dedicated. And and of course, you know the story behind that. It's been a very um, great walk of grace and faith, and during his birth and what's transpired so far, but you'll get to see him next Sunday. They're coming down for the wedding. They'll be here Tuesday, so you'll get to meet the famous Easton, okay? And if you haven't met him yet, we're going to show him off big time. We're proud grandparents of that, as well as with Bristol. All right, well, open your Bibles. It should be open to Luke chapter 23, and we're certainly glad you're here. We're going to start a new series this morning up until through Easter, and we've entitled it Famous Last Words. Famous last words, and so this is week number one. And um, famous last words. I was I was thinking about that, and and of course we'll be speaking about the famous last words of our Savior Jesus Christ while he was on the cross. And of course this morning we're going to be be covering in Luke chapter 23. Father, forgive them. But you know, famous that last words, and I was thinking of some famous last words, and and you know um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is famous last words were. I'll be back. Yeah, Rocky Balboa. Adrian, we did it, you know. And, and uh, you know, I was thinking about that, and I couldn't remember what John Wayne's famous last words when he was killed in the movie The Cowboys, but I remember it was just broke my heart, you know. That was my hero growing up, and I think that movie came out in 1976. And, by the way, thanks for all the birthday wishes. Um, I didn't look at any of them yesterday, and for somehow this is a psychological effect on me. You know, I hit 50, and that was great, but now I turned 51, and it feels like I went up, and now I'm coming down that thing a little bit. So, but thank you anyways for the birthday wishes. Uh, thank you very much. So, uh, and so famous last words. Um, how about that movie Titanic? Um, man, that was a, I think that's Rachel's favorite movie in the whole wide world. You remember, remember they're, remember they're laying on that board and I don't remember what her name was, Rose, and she looks at, she looks at Jack and she says, she says, I'll never let go, Jack, I'll never let go. And then she fell asleep. I guess when she, when she woke up, she said, oops, I guess I let go. I don't know. <laughs> Just a joke. 
famous last words. You know, I think, I think as men, and, um, um, you know, um, I think we've got some pretty famous last words too, don't we? Can men be pretty stupid sometimes? Can men be pretty dumb sometimes? Raise your hand if you think men can be stupid sometimes. All the ladies' hands go up, even a few men back over there, their hands go up. Yeah, you know, uh, you, know um, you always got to be careful when a man says, well, I know a chainsaw is not supposed to do that, but I think we can work this out, you know. <laughs> I think uh, Tommy said that uh, my famous last words were, oh, no, <laughs> or, or uh, good gravy. Whenever something doesn't, you know, I, I tell Tommy I can do this and it doesn't go right, and my famous last words are good gravy. But, you know, we can be kind of dumb sometimes, but we have these famous last words. But, you know, when we get here to our text this morning, um, here are some famous last words that affect all of us, and they're the last words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, as he's suffering on the cross, he uttered several phrases that should be the most famous last words in all of the world. Today, let's look at this first, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 22, and look at with me at verse 32, please. Luke chapter 23, excuse me, Luke chapter 23, in verse... 32. Now, if you'll follow me here, of course, our Savior has, has presented himself into Jerusalem. Um, at this point, in the context of the verses, that he's already gone through this mock trial, um, and um, they sentenced him to death. And he goes in for this crucifixion, and we pick it up in verse 26. And um, after he's beaten, after the catanine poles, and after the crown of thorns were put on his head, and after he was mocked and spit upon, he was forced to carry his cross down the Via Della Rosa. And um, I've been there, and I've walked that same path, and I've been in that same room, the very same exact floor, that our Savior was crucified, and it's still the same surface of when it was when Jesus was there. But he made that walk from Antonio's fortress through the Via Della Rosa to a place called Golgotha. And that's what it speaks of here in verse 26, and that he was so weak that a man named Simon was taken out of the crowd, and he was made to carry the cross for our Lord. And then in verse 32, it says, And then two others also were crucified with him, both being criminals, and they were being led away to be put to death with him. Look at verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, or that's what the word Golgotha means, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Lord, we love you this morning, and we do thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed upon Calvary. We thank you for the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we today can stand here in that, in that moment of grace and in that act of grace and that act of, of, of giving yourself that, Lord, we could have salvation today, trusting in what you did on the cross and what you did um, uh, in the tomb and after the tomb and that we can call ourselves believers and we can certainly know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. We thank you and praise you for that. And so, Lord, just these next few days, may we just take these great, famous last words that you spoke on the cross 
and make some application into our hearts and remind ourselves of just who we are in Jesus Christ and what we're expected of and to be as, as followers of Jesus Christ. We just ask you to please encourage our hearts and our times together here this morning. I pray for anyone here, the Lord, that's never truly professed you as their Savior, but more importantly, believed in their heart that, Lord, there hasn't been that life-changing moment that this morning, God, they will not leave here the same way that they come, but saved. I pray for all of us born-again believers who have trusted in you, but, Lord, that we're not practicing the very same thing that you did when you was on that cross in which was to forgive, and that, Lord, we have the responsibility of forgiving everybody around us. We have the responsibility of forgiving ourselves so we can move forward in a, in a faith-grace relationship with you. We love you, and we give you all praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at some things here this morning. In first, verse 32, we just read it, but the Bible says that there are two men, both criminals, and they were also led out with Jesus to be executed. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, or the skull, and, you know, if you've ever been there, and today if you go there, and I think I said this last year, but you probably don't remember, but a lot of times in our minds, we think that this place that our Savior was crucified, it was that he was, and all the pictures usually say that it was on top of a hill. Is that what y'all know? Well, he was, the crucifixion didn't happen on top of, on, on Golgotha. It happened at the base of it. Because one of the main roads coming into Jerusalem passed right in front of, of Golgotha, the skull. Why do they call it that? Even today, and, and, and I was standing from where they believe the tomb was that Jesus was put in, you could kind of walk around the corner from the tomb and you can look from one little peak to the next and you could see Golgotha. And still today, in that, in that little side of the mountain, there, there, is, there is an image of a skull and it's still there today. And that's why it's called um, Golgotha or the skull because that's what it looks like. But, as, but they they'd crucify people at the bottom because what they wanted the people to do was who was coming into Jerusalem, they wanted them to see what would happen if you didn't follow the rules and obey the laws of Jerusalem, that if you're going to come into our town and mess up, this is what's going to happen to you. So it wasn't put on top of the mountain, it was put at the very bottom so they could see him and they could hear him in the agony that the crucifixion caused. I think that might be something that we could put on our borders here in the United States. What do you all think? <laughs> That might be a deterrent for some, wouldn't it? But anyways, um, remember this. The Bible says clearly that God loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins and to raise from the grave so we could have everlasting life. That's what he did for us. God gave us his son Jesus who was born of a virgin whom was Mary without Jesus, without sin nature. And what did Jesus do? He lived the perfect sinless life, and he completely fulfilled the will of God for his life. Everybody say amen. That's what he did. He loved with an unconditional kind of love. He loved the ones that society rejected, and he came with this revolutionary against-the-grain message. He said, I didn't come just to preach the law, but instead, he said, I come to what? Fulfill the law. And Jesus did miracle after miracle after miracle. 
He was taken before a mock trial, and even though he had done nothing wrong, even Pilate acknowledged that there's no fault in this man. Even though he was found to be innocent of anything that they accused him of, these Jewish leaders, he was still taken to and crucified for that. He was falsely accused, he was tried, he was condemned, even though he was an innocent man, and the creation and the creation mocked the creator, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, they tortured him, and that's what they did. They took his clothes, they stripped them off, they beat him over and over again with a whip with a catanine tail. A catanine tail is a is a is a is like a whip but it's got some, some glue on the end of it, and they took, they took broken glass and stuck it on there, and they whipped our Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, he's this perfect man this, with, without sin. He wasn't guilty of anything. He willingly gave his life for ours. Amen, everybody? But this is what they did to him. They whipped him and with this, with this rocks and, these, and, the, and the glass and his skin were completely open. They took his clothes and they stripped them off and they beat him over and over and over again. They took a crown of thorns in a mocking way that had thorns that were three inches long and they made this thing and they stuck it on his head and they set him on a rock and they pushed it down as far into his skull as they could where blood was coming down his face. And they said, here you go. Here's the king of the Jews. What do you think? Can you imagine? Can you, can you imagine this? Can you imagine after he goes through all of these things, he's been, he's been for hours, he's been beaten, he's been mocked, he's been spit, spit upon. You know, we even know later when he's on the cross, they even cast lots for his clothes. Uh, you know, he's got, can, you, can you imagine how tired he is? Everybody, can you imagine how, how, how he doesn't have any energy? I mean, everything has been beaten because he was 100% man as well as 100% God. And he hasn't said a word. Now, we know that when he started on, the, on that trail of the Via Della Rosa that he saw the mothers and he said, one day it's, it'll be better for the mothers to be motherless, saying that, you know, in the last days when the second coming comes, that, you know, it's, it's going to be a bad judgment. Amen? But, but after that and before that, he didn't say a word. Nothing, nothing was said. He never complained. He didn't say anything. He didn't do any of those things. And now we come to verse 32. I don't know about you guys. I don't know about you. But I would want to know what the Savior said, his very first words. He's beaten, he's been mocked, they bring him to this place, and then he finally starts to move his lips. Boy, I think I want to know what was on the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, is he going to curse the ones who have been beating him and mocking him and ripping his flesh open? Is, is, is he going to ask God for some relief? Is he going to ask God for some kind of mercy? Is, is it going to be about him? No. His first words after all that he went through was, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His first words. It wasn't about himself. It wasn't about revenge upon those. But instead, 
He says, Father, forgive these people that are beating me, who are mocking me, who are making fun of me, who have ripped my skin apart. Father, forgive them, for they not know not what they do. Incredible, right? Hey, this morning, in lieu of this text, let's look at three thoughts this morning real quick and expose some truths about this text. And then from there, let's move into two points of application that we can all make from this. Number one, these three thoughts, and if you're taking notes, the first thing is this, and on the back of your, your bulletins, your information cards, there's a place for your notes. There's not an outline there, but it'll be real simple this morning. Number one, Jesus fulfilled prophecy. This text, listen everybody, listen close. Remember, we've been studying James, and remember those words in chapter three and in chapter, or chapter four and chapter five, it says, come now, where when James says, what he's saying is, everybody stop what you're doing, step Quit clipping your toenails and quit talking on your telephones or texting. This is really important. You need to listen. That's what James was saying. That's what we're saying this morning is we need to listen. Here's three thoughts about this. Number one, Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Hey, listen, Jesus is who he is and he is the truth. Number one, he fulfilled prophecy. Amen? He fulfilled the prophecy. You see, 700 years before this this event, Isaiah the prophet prophesied that one day that this would take place 700 years before. Now imagine 700 years before this event, these words were written. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 12. Speaking of Jesus, he says that he poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sins of many. What's the next phrase? And he made the intercession. Verse 13. That means he prayed. He prayed for the transgressors, for his offenders. He said, Father, forgive them. With this prayer, Jesus fulfilled a 700-year-old prophecy. Even the prophecy said that he was going to be crucified with criminals and that he would make intercession while he was being crucified. So number one, get this, this was a fulfillment of prophecy. Number two, Number two, Jesus modeled the importance of prayer. Write that down. Jesus modeled the importance of prayer. Jesus was a person of prayer. In fact, he taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, this is how you should pray. Remember, he started off his ministry, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he taught, on the, when he entered into his, to his ministry on earth, he taught how to pray. Now the, significance, now, the significance is, is now that his public ministry is ending, he ends with prayer. And now as Jesus was closing, he prayed. Now, who did he pray for? He prayed for the most unlikely people. Listen close. His enemies. For those who didn't know what they were doing. Sinners, criminals, people who made mistakes, people who were so far away from the truth. You know, I don't know about you guys, but this is very encouraging to me because there are people in my life that I love, that I love, that I love, I love into myself, and I think to myself, they'll never come into a relationship with God. But this verse gives me hope. There's nobody too far away from, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say amen. This is encouraging. There, we say that they're too far from him, and yet Jesus was praying for those 
who would have been considered the furthest away from God. I mean, the very ones, listen, the very ones that were beating him, the very ones that were opening his flesh up, the very ones that we would think would be the farthest people from getting saved, but these are the very ones that he was praying for. Hey, listen, don't ever give up on praying for people. Don't ever give up on praying for the lost. Don't ever give up on being a, a witness for Jesus Christ. You know, we, we know a lot of people, and they seem to be so far away, and that salvation will never come. But if this teaches us anything, don't stop praying for those people. Keep praying for them, even the ones that we think there's no way. Just like in this, in this, in this context of the story, he prayed and made intercession for those. Here's another point I want us to see real quick, is that just, just a few weeks after this, Peter preached, we call it the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were saved, right? Million Dollars says that some of these very people, this crowd that followed him from Antonio's fortress down the Della Rosa to the place called Gagatha, the very ones who were spitting and mocking and beating him, those same people were saved on the day of Pentecost. Hey, listen. As a church, I want us. To, a lot of times, we really get messed up on what priority number one is in our life. We 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 sometimes we get inward and think it's about us and what we want and what best um, um, affects us. But as a church, as born again believers, our number one ministry and our number one focus is to be relevant, to be effective. Is on the there's lost people dying and going to hell, and we should put focus on that. Everybody say amen. Everybody give the Lord a hand, will you please? Absolutely. Never give up. I mean, um, I know this is being recorded and it doesn't matter, but you know, my sister's going to be here next Sunday and, and this will be the only the third time in her life that she's ever been into a church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached. She's not saved. She's not saved. Now, she's like 90% of the people out there. And again, I'm not judging, okay? I'm not. But as far as I know, she's not because there's no fruit. But, you know, for me, that hurts. But this verse encourages me because all it takes is that I'm not going to give up on praying for my sister, my twin sister. Now, now you're going to meet her, and I'm a lot better looking and a lot smarter than she is. But uh, you're going to get to meet her, okay? And, um, but I want you to pray that she'll get saved. And I don't want us to give up. And we all have people that we think there's no way there's no way, and we, so we stop praying because we think that it's going to happen in this time period or in that time period or this thing's going on or that thing's going on. But I want you to know that never give up on praying for anyone. Jesus Christ prayed for this, for these guys. Look, make intercession for those who aren't saved. Don't stop praying for those who aren't saved and don't stop praying for those who walk away from the Lord. Don't, don't stop praying for those who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing and are whatever that may be. Don't stop praying for each other. Never stop, never stop. Jesus taught us anything on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It should teach us that we never stop praying for people. Don't stop praying for people. Don't stop praying for yourself either. Don't stop. Don't stop. Number three. Number three, Jesus prevailed on the cross here. Again, this is this thought. Here, Jesus revealed man's greatest need. Jesus revealed man's greatest need. Hey, listen to me. Um, who, 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 who knows man better? 
and we say man, we're, we're not talking a masculine tense. This is about j- women. Who, who, knows people be- who knows people better than anybody? Jesus does. God does. And here he revealed man's greatest need. To me, it's interesting to note what Jesus didn't pray for. Listen, he, <laughs> he didn't pray one of those TV evangelist prayers. Bless them, Lord. Heal these people. Lord, make them wealthy. He, he, he didn't pray any of those kind of prayers. He didn't pray for a longer life, an easier life, a better life. He didn't pray for any of those things. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Man's, listen, man's greatest need is forgiveness. Hey, look, your greatest need and my greatest need is forgiveness from our Savior Jesus Christ. That's our greatest need. As, as, as a lost person, my greatest need was forgiveness of Jesus Christ for, the, for my sins. That was my greatest need. And even as a Christian, and when I go through living life and I don't always do what I'm supposed to do or I don't do the things I know I should do, whatever that may look like, I need forgiveness. Man's greatest need is forgiveness. Listen close. Don't, don't lose me on this one. Not only do we need forgiveness from God, but ladies and gentlemen, we need to give forgiveness to those who come across and hurt us as well too. We need forgiveness. We need to be forgiving people. That's our greatest need. And I want you to know something too. A lot of times we can say, okay, God, I get it. You forgive me. I I, I have faith. I can believe that. And then we can even know in what the Bible says about you know, when Jesus spoke that he said that pray for your, for your enemies, you know, and we understand all that. And so we can even get to the point to where we can say, Lord, I forgive so-and-so. But you know, sometimes and a lot of times the hardest thing to do is to forgive ourselves. Do you know who's behind that? It's that, it's that old nature. It's that sin nature. It's the old devil thing. Look, if God can forgive me, I ought to be able to forgive myself so I can go forward and so my life is one of hope and joy and peace. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross and he didn't utter these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing out of some vain words. He meant what he said. So if he can forgive us, by, by the grace of God, we can forgive ourselves. I mean, I've done some things that I'm not proud of, but I got to forgive myself, and I got to not hold that against me because it's, it's my sins are taken as far as the east is from the west. They're thrown into the deepest hole of the sea. God forgets them. I may not forget them, but by the grace of God, I don't have to hold them against myself, and I sure don't have to hold someone else's sins against them as well too. Everybody say amen. Give the Lord a hand. Now, so number three, he showed that um, man's greatest need is forgiveness, for they know not what they are doing. They didn't, listen to me close, they didn't know that they needed forgiveness, and yet they still got it. Hello? They didn't know that they needed forgiveness, but they still got it. You know, people do things to us, and maybe they don't even know that they did it, and they offended or whatever, but you know what? They might not need to know that they need forgiveness, but you got to forgive them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, he says, But so that you may know the Son of God has authority. Where? 
The Son has authority in earth for what? Look at it. For the forgiveness of sins, Jesus has the authority to forgive. Again, there's a great need for forgiveness for the lost and for the Christian community. I was thinking about this and We get hurt a lot, don't we? I think about I think about homes. I think I think I think seventy percent of the marriages end in a divorce. That's not just in the secular world. I think it's seventy. I think it's seventy now. Let's just say it's sixty. So I'm not lying up here. Just kidding. <laughs> um, that's in the Christian world. If you get a divorce, it doesn't mean that you're going to hell. It doesn't mean that. Things happen. But my point is, and I, so I don't want anyone to, if you've been through a divorce, I don't want you to get like, you know, you, you got leprosy because I don't believe that. Neither does the Lord. But, but, um, but what I want us to see is that a lot of marriages break up because there's not a forgiving spirit. Think about families. Think about children. Think about things that parents say to their kids, the ugly things. I mean, I'm not saying here, but I think about all the hurts that man has caused wife and wife has caused husband. I know women that hate men because of what one man done to them. I know men that hate women because of what one woman did to them. I know kids that, that, and, and girls that don't like men because they were sexually abused. As a child, I, 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 I think you take this dysfunctional home that's so prevalent today in the world today and, and you get hurt people. Do you see what I'm saying? You get people who are hurt and you throw a little bit of alcoholism in there and some drug addiction in there and it really just compounds it and there's a lot of hurt, a lot of dysfunctionality. All I'm saying is, is that there's hurt. We all get hurt. We get hurt and we get hurt. And what happens is, is that we get become bitter and whatever the case may be. So what do you do when you've been hurt like that? What do you do when you get hurt like that? What do you do when you've been wronged? What do you do when there's one of the most important relationships in your life and it's supposed to be loving and caring and great, but it's caused you hurt? What do you do? You do what Jesus did when you've been hurt. You pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. You forgive them. Here's some application for you. I know you're getting all excited. That was my third point, and I was going to be as gracious as, as Sean and let you out early like he did last week, but not so. What do you do? You do what Jesus did. Father, forgive them. Write this down. When you've been hurt, number one, write this down. Everybody, write this down. You can use your cell phones and use your notes and write this down, but what do you do? What do you do when you've been hurt? Number one, the first thing he teaches us is to pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who hurt you. Let me just give you a side note. We pray for good things, not bad things, okay? <laughs> you, can, you can laugh, okay? 
when you pray for somebody, pray for good things. Don't pray for bad things, you know. Um, just want to make sure we all are paying attention here. But uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 28, it was Jesus who, who taught, bless those who, who persecute or curse you and pray for those, say it out loud, exactly, who mistreat you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, who is mistreating Jesus here? Who was mistreating Jesus here? Well, the Roman soldiers were. And what did he do? He prayed for them immediately. Immediately. Now, if you're anything like me, someone mistreating me, someone mistreating, it happened just a couple of days ago, someone mistreating me, I mean, you know, the first thing I want to do is retaliate. I want to block them off. I want to give them the old Christian salute. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, um, you know. And if I'm going to pray, I'm going to be praying that they get hemorrhoids in their ears, something gross and nasty. I mean, that's the first thing we want to do, right? But that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to pray for bad things. We're supposed to pray for good things. When someone does something against me, when someone hurts me, the very first thing that I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to say, Father, forgive them. Whether they knew what they were doing or not what they were doing, what was controlling to do it, I don't know and you don't know. But for you, the best thing you can do is, Father, forgive them. Don't pray bad things on them. You know, I, I, I heard about this guy, and he got bit by a rabid dog. He got bit by a rabid dog. He waited too long to get to the doctor, and so when he got to the doctor, the doctor said, well, son, or sir, you know, you waited too long. There's nothing I can do for you. He said, you're going to die. We can't treat this. And so the man immediately starts writing a list, and, and there's names on it. And the doctor says, with a heart, with his heart softened, he goes, oh, bless your heart. He says, you're writing a list of people you want to contact or you want me to contact. And he said, oh, no, these people I hate. I'm going to go bite them. <laughs> Did you, did you get that, David? Okay. All right. Um, but hey, that's not what God says, right? We're to, we're to pray for those who persecute us. We're to pray for those who mistreat us. Jesus' words were, Father, forgive them. Hey, we need to pray for those who hurt us. It may not be the natural thing. Listen to me. I want you to get this. When I pray for somebody, it may not do anything for them, but it always changes my heart and my life when I pray for my enemies. When I pray for someone who hurts me, it may not make a bit of difference in their world ever. I hope it does. I pray it does. And when I'm praying that I want it to, but it will always make a difference in my walk with Jesus Christ. If you're walking around with bitterness in your heart, if you're walking around because you've been hurt and you're mad at everybody and everything, even that one person, you're, going to be, you're not going to be used of the Lord the way that you should. Because, hey, listen, the Bible says that we're to forgive others because why? Because, because God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. I don't know about you, but I take the one person who's done the most wrong to me, and it doesn't even measure up to a tenth of what I've done against bad against God. I've done a lot more sin against God, and he's forgiven me. And since he's forgiven me, I can forgive those who trespassed against me no matter what it is. You think about what you've done against God. You think about the thoughts in your mind. You think about the things, and you tell me that we can't forgive somebody. Listen to me. If you'll forgive, 
Father, forgive them. It'll do, it may not do ever do anything for them, but it's going to be the best thing you can do for your walk in Jesus Christ. Amen, everybody? Number two. Number two. The second thing that we learn from Scripture is this. Jesus' prayer teaches us that we should always pray for restoration, that we should pray for restoration. Father, forgive them. I want them to be right with you. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and 18. Paul told the Romans, remember who worshiped the false god of revenge. He said, don't be revengeful, he said. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. He said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on who? As far as it depends on you, if it is possible, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. The reason this is powerful is because it shows me that it's possible for me to forgive anyone who's done anything to me. And my prayer needs to be one of restoration. Again, I can't control what someone else does. All I can control is my heart and my life and what God controls me to do. And again, that application of it may not do anything for them, but by the grace of God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect your life in a great way. We just got to be obedient to what God tells us to do. Amen? You got a marriage that's not where it's supposed to be? Get up off your stinking tail like God says and forgive. Forgive. Reconcile. Restore that marriage. Repent. Forgive. Have some grace. You've got a son or daughter that you that you don't have a relationship with anymore. What are you doing? Restore that 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 relationship. You got a you got a, a parent that you haven't talked to because of some reason. Restore that relationship. Look, forgive that person and move forward. God doesn't only want us to forgive, but he does he also wants us to restore. You know, there's that old saying that you know, and here's what we always say is we say we say, "I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget." Does that work? No, it doesn't work. Now, what I do mean and what I do want to say is I forgive you. Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not, I'm not, I may not trust you like the way that I used to trust you, but I'm not going to sentence you to hell, and I'm not going to let you be a, be, 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 be a slave to you anymore. I'm not going to let you control me anymore. You, you know what I'm saying? I forgive you, but when we start throwing those butts in there, really not where we're supposed to be because really we should all go after that restoration. Amen? Now, again, it doesn't mean you have to let a person back in your life and to ruin your life. Again, you got to be smarter than that. But, you know, don't let it haunt you all the time. If you got brothers and sisters and you're, and you're fighting them over something that happened years ago, over money, grow up. Grow up. Soar higher than the crowd. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Look at this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. 
I think I have verse 13 up there, but not verse 12. Let me read verse 12 with, to you. He says, Put on then, as the elect of God, the chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then look what it says. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It doesn't say might. It doesn't say if this variable's there or if this variable's not there. It says we're to forgive. How do I forgive when I don't feel like it? Just like this. The Bible tells me to forgive as the Lord forgave me. Let me tell you this, ugly fact, you take all the, again, you take all the wrongs in the world and they don't measure up to what someone else has done against you that God has forgiven us for. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Why is it important? He says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When man was at his worst, God's Son was at his best. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. we got to forgive. Aren't you glad God forgives us? I remember as a churchgoer all those years ago, now that I'm at 51, you know, a um, long time ago, but I remember as a churchgoer trying to be religious. And I remember, I remember getting saved, and there wasn't a doubt that, that, I, that I didn't give my life to Jesus Christ. But I remember that I fall into that category of just trying to be religious, going to church and doing what I'm supposed to do. I didn't get it done. It's not until I come under that great conviction of my sins and that I gave my life to Jesus Christ that I become a new creation. Trying to be spiritual by only religious acts doesn't get the job done. It's only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that was given to us by the blood of Calvary that we can ever have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we confess our sins before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when we confess them and repent, not with just our mouths but with our hearts, we become new creatures and new creations. You see, there's forgiveness. There's a forgiveness that's waiting for all of us that gives us hope and a future in Jesus Christ. It's not through religious acts. It's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's by faith knowing that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Has he forgiven you? Yes. But has he forgiven you to the point that you have eternal life? Have you professed and confessed your life to him in a way that your sins are taken as far as the east is from the west? 
do you, are you still carrying around these, this burden of sin, this burden of sin or, in your life? Listen, I want you to know this morning you can come to Jesus Christ, and I know it from experience, and I know what the Bible says. He says, if I will come to him and I confess my sins, he will take that burden, he will take that yoke from me because his burden is light. And if I will do that, it is gone. Look, maybe there's some here this morning that's never truly spiritually accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You're still dragging all this baggage and all this burden around because what you need is you need to know that Jesus Christ forgives you. That when we're at our worst, he's at his best. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But Christian, maybe you're here and you're also carrying around a burden because someone hurt you and you haven't forgiven them. You'll never be at your best until you say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Maybe you're a daughter or son, and your parents said some horrible things to you as a child. You need to say, Father, forgive them. Because even if they're at their worst, we need to be at our best. Does that make sense? Listen. And you got to forgive yourself. If you've wronged somebody, you need to go to that person and make it right. But then you also have to make it right in yourself too. Don't carry around this guilt and this burden of being something that you think that you're, that you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. You need to give that up because Satan is using that to keep you down. Jesus gives us an abundant life, a life of joy and peace and grace. And if we in our, in our own flesh, wants to, we're never going to be that. You've got to forgive yourself. You have got to forgive yourself. Think about it. These Roman soldiers, what they did to him, mocked him, beat him, opened his flesh up. There wasn't, there, you know, we don't have pictures, but, you know, I mean, I mean, his flesh was opened up. And the first thing that Jesus uttered out of his mouth was, not sick him, Lord. Not, not me, Lord. He didn't say, heal me. He didn't say, he didn't say um, um, give me some peace through this. No, none of those things. He said, Father, forgive him. That's our example, because the greatest need of man is forgiveness. Your parents, their greatest need is your forgiveness. Your children, their greatest need is your forgiveness. Your brother and sister, their greatest need is your forgiveness, as well as our greatest need is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Your husband, your wife, their greatest need is your forgiveness. Your forgiveness. Who are you not to forgive? Because when we don't forgive, we're putting ourselves above God. God's given us the example, forgive. Who are you not to forgive? Shame on you. You'll never be happy. You'll never be content. You'll never have joy if you don't forgive. You've got to forgive. Don't mean you've got to be stupid and let people walk all over you again, but you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. Because when people are at their worst, you need to be at your best. I'm glad God was. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. Thank you for these, your words. Thank you for being at your best. Lord, I pray 
that will be at our best and that will be a witness to people, that will practice what the Word of God says. And, and the Bible is not just some, is not some culture-relevant writings. It's the Word of God. It's true then and it's true today. And Lord, I pray that we'll bring to heart, bring into mind that the world's greatest need is forgiveness, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ of their sins and the forgiveness of ourselves, the forgiveness from us when they trespass against us. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us. I pray first, Lord, if there's one here that's only that only has a relationship with you by ways of religious duty, that God, that you'll convict their hearts. And I pray this morning that they will not leave here the same way that they came, but they'll come to this altar and they'll repent of their sins and they'll confess and profess you as Lord, Master, and Savior in their hearts. And that, Lord, that your promise is, is that you'll take those burdens from us, that you'll take our sins away. Lord, I pray that no one here takes the chance of going to hell when a relationship with Jesus Christ was this close. That will practice humility. Lord, I pray for all of us, all the Christians, I pray for the Christians that are left, that, Lord, that will be at our best and will forgive, that, Lord, will go to those that we've offended and ask for forgiveness, that will be at our best, that will be at our best. Lord, forgive us for we failed you. We pray that you'll anoint this invitation with your spirit and with your grace, but mostly with your